Geek News Reviews, Commentary, not just another podcast on the Ordinary Pickball Podcast. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Now here comes your host, Kyle A. Barrett of the World Steve. Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast. All the geeky news you can use right here on the Smodco Internet Radio, Smodcast.com. My name is Kyle Hebert. I'm a voice actor in the animation and video game world here on the West Coast. And your co-host on the East Coast, Other World Steve. And I'm a cutie pie. He is. He's so adorable. Gosh, you just want to pinch his little cheeks. My, my butt cheeks, I hope. Oh, yeah, a lot of butt cheek pinching and clinching and all sorts of shit, man. It's crazy. want to give shout-outs to... Uh, we got Robert J and Sigmund 88 or, or Loyal 2 that come to our chat room every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Also, a shout out to um, another loyal listener, Cocaine and Whores. That's a great screen name, Cocaine and Whores. I don't know if they're going to provide Cocaine and Whores or they just hear us talk a lot about it. Uh, either way, I am down for the Cocaine and the Whores. Okay, apparently so. Uh, we're, we're, we're all down for that shit. Okay. Uh, obviously, uh, there, there's a little independent flick, um, at theaters. A couple people went to see it, uh, recently. Um, yeah, we're talking about Age of Ultron. You know that. Uh, Avengers. So, we got some spoilerific talk coming ahead in this episode. So, if you ain't seen the flick, uh, I don't have, know how else to say it, but, uh, politely go the fuck away and, uh, rejoin us after you've seen it and, uh, see if your opinions mesh with, uh, Myself and Otherworld Steve, because we have seen it, and um, obviously uh, many, many others did for 191 million plus. Uh, uh, take at the box office there opening weekend. It's the second highest grossing three day debut right after the original Avengers. Uh, very, very impressive. Um, I'm, I'm gonna. I'll, I guess I'll start with my take. I was. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it as, in terms of a sequel. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna say right now that it's not my favorite Marvel movie. I think the benchmark for me currently, because I'm still riding the high of Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, I think, is even better than Guardians. I love Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Uh, I think last year was just a banner year for Marvel. <laughs> banner. Yeah. Uh, in terms of sequels, I think you could, you could definitely fare worse. There are moments in there that are, you know, extremely hokey and, and, and just like any other superhero movie, you're going to get your, your shot of that. Some of the CG is a little bit rushed, it looks like. And then others are just fantastic. Um, Hulk's CG uh, looks way better, more refined, actually. Um, I actually dug um, the uh, the romantic subplot. Uh, a lot of people uh, didn't. They thought that that kind of degraded Black Widow's uh, case as a, a cold, hard, stone-cold uh, assassin and just made her a damsel in distress, uh, I guess, during the, the, the final act and whatnot. But... Uh, a lot of hate tweets went towards uh, Joss Whedon that he quit Twitter a second time uh, over shit like that, and in and, and statements such as uh, I, I think it was taken, it was blown out of context about um, uh, her her considering herself a monster because she was basically sterilized and all that. I think the monster comment was more about her becoming an assassin as opposed to just having a regular life. It's not. I, I don't think it's Whedon being a misogynist or or sexist or anything like that, but. Um, People need a reason to hate, and it's like, I want a reason to be pissed off. I'll, I'll hate on you. As Joss Whedon's always taken a lot of hate, despite being very, very pro-feminism, uh, very, very strong, strongly written female characters and whatnot. I actually, I, I dug Ultron. I dug James Spader's performance. 
had had some unconventional dialogue in there that doesn't sound very villainy, but um, I, I appreciate that approach. It's something a little bit different than the typical "I will destroy you" uh, cliche type stuff. Yeah, uh, cocaine and whores in our chat says just didn't feel like the romance was needed. Felt like it was a little forced. Yeah, there's there's some balance issues. Uh, and, and yeah, the storytelling's a little bit wonky, but the movie, as all movies are, are, are cut down, uh, and pared down, but, uh, we will be getting when it comes on DVD and Blu-ray an extended cut, an alternate ending even. Um, so, um, basically I was, I was fairly satisfied. And I, I mean, I've seen it once in big and loud IMAX 3D. I will gladly go again, uh, and enjoy it a second time. And I'll pick it up on DVD and Blu-ray because there's some there's some great character moments in there. Good comedy, good solid writing. Uh, you know, when things died down, there's some great action set pieces and everything. You know, of course, it's a little bit long and bloated as 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 a lot of the superhero fare tends to be. But um, I didn't have a buttonumathon though. I didn't feel like all right, let's wrap this up or anything. I thought it was just interesting enough to to hold my attention. And uh, they they do certainly handle. Uh, destruction porn a little more responsibly, I guess you could say, for all the haters of Man of Steel's uh, 9-11-esque destruction porn. You had, you know, all the superheroes diving in and thinking of the city and the citizens and saving people and all that, and it's like almost just pounded into the heads. It's like, all right, we get it. People are safe. Okay, all right. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I, I give it a thumbs up. I, I did enjoy it. It's not without its flaws. Um, it's no Winter Soldier, though. I, I, I think that's the benchmark for me in terms of Marvel flicks right now. How about you, Steve? Well, <clears throat> I had a very unique viewing experience. I went Friday night. I went to the 10.30 p.m. show. And I was very concerned because for a while I was the only person there. Literally, literally, I was the only person in the entire theater to watch Age of Ultron. And I went on Facebook and I said, well, how good could this movie really be if I'm the only one here? But what I didn't know at the time, what I found out later was you had the big uh, fight, the boxing match that night, and I guess a lot of people stayed home or or went out to see that. Uh, It was also the NBA Final Four playoffs. So I went at a great time because I wasn't distracted by a lot of theater noise and, and, and people talking and playing with their phones or whatever. I was able to really concentrate on the film. And in hindsight, that may have been a mistake because I was nitpicking in real time. And, and, you know, I was like, what the fuck's this? (laughs) <laughs> what the fuck's that? Why the fuck is this happening? Um, but I'll start with the good. Um, I liked Ultron. I really liked Ultron. And Ultron did have a lot of wonky dialogue, but I liked it because it was kind of like, all right, he's fucking insane. And that's what I really got from him. Yeah. Was It, it was um, kind of like a very juvenile mind but a brilliant mind at the same time. And you had some of the, the juvenile aspects come out from time to time. Um, and I, I thought it was done very well. And, you know, it kind of reminded me a lot of the first Batman movie because you introduce a, a very formidable foe, and by the end of the film, you take him out. And I really hope Ultron's going to come back at some point. Part of... What takes away some of my enjoyment with the Marvel Cinematic Universe now is knowing what their slate is for the next five or six years. And nothing in the next five or six years says Ultron in it. And that's so disappointing because they might go back to that well at some point when they run out of ideas. But I really dug Ultron. I also dug um, Vision. I, th- I think Vision was very, very well done. Vision brings up a very interesting question because... Apparently, Vision is or is powered by the Mind Stone, 
So when we culminate in Infinity Wars Part 1 and 2 with Thanos um, attempting to collect all the stones, what does that mean for Vision? So we watch these movies without any real concern that any of the, the main cast, anyway, is going to be injured or killed because, well, we know they're going to be turning up in all these other films. Um, Vision's interesting. Okay, let's talk the twins as it's coming up in the chat. Um, we had uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, who, of course, because of uh, contractual reasons, couldn't be called Quicksilver or Scarlet Witch. Um, the Maximoff twins... I think it, they were pretty fucking pointless. I, not that I don't appreciate what they brought, but I don't think it really helped the movie in any way. And if there was a cut that didn't include them, I think it would have pretty much been the same movie. I think the trailers, because there were, what, 9,000 trailers prior to the release of this film, mm-hmm. everybody knew the whole story going in. I only had two surprises the whole time, and I really tried to stay spoiler-free. I watched the trailers as the trailers were being officially released, but going in spoiler-free, there were only two things that got me by surprise, and the first was um, Hawkeye's family, which I thought was very weird. And let me talk about that for a minute, because first of all, I don't think it did anything for the movie, because the setup I got didn't get the payoff. Now, I'm going to ask you, Kyle, in watching this setup, um, it really humanized Hawkeye, well, and he's the only human of this really fucked up special team, uh, it really hu- humanized him, it really got you on that level with Hawkeye where you could associate with him. He's got two kids, his wife's pregnant with a third on the way, and I thought, wow, what an ideal time to kill Hawkeye. That would be such a gut punch to the audience. Here we go, Here we finally get Hawkeye's story, and he's got a family, blah, 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 kill him. And they didn't kill him. And I think it's the first time going to a movie where I was disappointed they didn't kill off one of these main characters. I, I <laughs> really think they should have killed Hawkeye, and I think that would have gone a long way. However, they killed Quicksilver. And you know what? It didn't make a fucking shred of sense. Um, if Quicksilver was a bad guy through the whole movie, and at the very, very, very end had his moment of redemption and then died in that moment of redemption, I'd applaud that. But he was already being a good guy. He was already helping out the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And then he died anyway. So it was absolutely pointless. The only question I have, if if that was a fuck you at Fox, like, how are we going to justify using Quicksilver now because we killed him off in our franchise? <laughs> There's that, and it's like, well, you you watch Days of Future Past. He could dodge bullets no problem. How come he couldn't fucking dodge bullets this time? What did he say? I did, didn't see that coming or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that that's a Whedon thing to do is is take a character that's introduced and that uh, people connect with. I, obviously, he didn't connect to you, but he connected to some people. I heard a big uh, audience collective aww. When they when they saw that it was him taking the bullets and it's like, oh shit, yeah, yeah, someone had to die, someone had to. That's a Whedon thing to do. It meant nothing to me. It, it was so empty, so hollow. Um, I really think Hawkeye should have died because that was the setup. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, point you brought up. It's like, okay, I could see them humanizing him more, giving him more screen time because Jeremy Renner was very, very not happy with. Hawkeye's involvement in the first Avengers because, you know, right from the bat, he's Loki's bitch. And then, you know, he's, he's kind of relegated to the, to the side, uh, for, for a lot of the film. And this one, he, he did get some more to do. He had some good quips 
and good things. It's like, I guess sticking the family thing in there helps keep him somewhat grounded and, and all that. Cause you've seen Tony's, uh, side before with, with dealing with, with romance and whatnot. And, uh, you've seen, uh, you know, Steve Rogers and his past and with Agent Carter and, and, and such not. You see kind of everyone's path. And then you see, you know, a blossoming thing with Black Widow and Hulk. Now, I don't read Black Widow or Hulk. I didn't know if those characters have ever been romantically uh, intertwined before in the comics. But uh, I was okay with it. I thought it was, you know, not too sappy. Um, it, it worked okay for me. And I think that longer uh, cut might help massage things a little bit better and smooth things over. Because, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit all over the place narratively. What bothered me the most about the little romantic entangleship there was it, he didn't seem like Bruce Banner. He was the crow. He was angsty goth. Woe is me. No, I'm a monster. I can't be around. I'm, I'm going to hurt you. And it, it's so counterintuitive to his presence in the first Avengers film. Mm-hmm. You know, what was my secret? I'm always angry. And, and he demonstrated that he is, or was at least, in full control of the Hulk. And he even had a speaking line in the first Avengers film when he says puny god after he fucks up Loki. So they seem, it seems to me they took a huge step backwards with the Hulk. With him being really unsure of himself, being really unsure if he should be part of this team, really unsure if he should be repeatedly doing this transformation um, in Avengers, we don't see anybody have to talk him down to have him revert back to Banner. One minute he's Hulk, and literally when the scene changes, he's back to Banner. No big deal. And to really have the emphasis throughout the entire movie that Widow has to talk him down, Widow has to do the lullaby to to get him back into Banner. It, it, if that was in the first movie, I would understand it. But to kind of retroactively retcon him as being some really angsty goth bitch didn't make any sense to me. And him taking off at the end, like, oh, I could be a part of this team. Um, what you said about uh, Widow uh, with Joss Whedon getting the shit about her being a monster, I, I didn't take it as with her being sterilized. I took it as her being an assassin. So. Right, yeah. I don't know where other people are coming up with this. They're, they're just misogynists to begin with, I guess. But I, I didn't take that as a slight against females at all. And you have very uh, two very strong females now with Widow and uh, Scarlet Witch. And I do dig the actress who played Scarlet Witch. I, I think she did a very good job alongside all these established heroes. Elizabeth Olsen, yeah. Robert J. in our chat said, speaking of Loki, uh, since people in the chat were going back and forth about Loki, uh, disappointed that he was cut out of the film. Um, but uh, there was a scene shot with it, and Joss Whedon explained uh, that there was too much going on in the film, and you know, you'll probably see that uh, on the extended cut. I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, any chance to, you know, the Loki fandom is through the roof for that character, and I mean, I can understand that. So they, they are juggling a lot in this film, and, and to throw Loki in would just seem like, hey, let's just shoehorn everything we can. So I'm okay I mean, with him not being in it. The good news is with everything shoehorned in, it did not feel like the third installment of Raimi's Spider-Man franchise. It, it, you had more characters actually thrown in here than you did in the last Spider-Man by Raimi. And it, to me, it didn't feel overwhelming. It was okay. Um, I like some of the nods 
talking about the vibranium and where it came from and everything. Um, the pacing was wonky. I think you, you had some really go, go. I mean, you started right from go right from action. Boom. I like that. They started right with the action and they showed how far along the teams come really working together and working in unison and really complimenting each other. I, I did dig that. Um, I'll tell you what I didn't like. What I didn't like, uh, Tony Stark, but that's a good thing because we're, we're coming into Captain America civil war and, all indications point that Stark's going to be the antagonist in that film, and you're going to start seeing this big divide within the Avengers, and that's why it was important at the end of, of this film to introduce Vision and Scarlet Witch and um, Iron Patriot slash War Machine yeah, and uh, Falcon actually training as actual Avengers, because they're going to help to fill that gap once the team branches, and then once we start losing some Avengers, they're going to start filling some gaps. And then we have Black Panther and Doctor Strange still coming up, and Ant-Man. I can't, can't forget about Ant-Man. Uh, so you'll have three more Avengers jumping in to fill those voids. So it's going to be very interesting going forward. So to sum it all up, my final take, not Marvel's best outing, not Marvel's worst outing. Good summer popcorn flick, kind of... Uh, I guess slightly better than Pacific Rim. If you want to go in and see a bunch of explosions of superheroes and you can kind of shut your brain off, great. But if you're going to go in and, and nitpick it like me, eh, you may not enjoy it as much. I am really excited, and you know, I don't think you'd ever anticipate these words coming from my mouth, but I'm really excited about when this comes out on Blu-ray. I, I'm really excited to see this extended cut, and I hope that it solves a lot of the concerns that I had watching it theatrically. Yeah, uh, like on the on the press tour, and you know, Joss Whedon now leaving Twitter amongst a you know, shitstorm of hate and everything, you know, and he's backing away. You know that that this is his last realm, at least for now, uh, dabbling in the in the Marvel universe because you know he's got many other creative things he wants to do. But I'm wondering because watching this movie, it didn't seem like a Joss Whedon thing. It kind of seemed like other things were orchestrating. And the best example I could think of, compare it, was Poltergeist. A film directed by Toby Hooper, who directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but everything about that movie screams Steven Spielberg. And Spielberg was the producer on Poltergeist. But obviously, when you're a guy like Spielberg, you got a lot of pull. You got more pull than the director in that case. And I was thinking that even Joss Whedon, with all the success of it all, you know, I think the, the, the big machine that is the juggernaut that is uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think you know uh, Jeff Loeb and, and Kevin Feige and, and all the all the bigwigs at Disney now. Uh, the, the, you know they're sticking their fingers in a lot of pots and, and and stirring things around. So so maybe Joss Whedon felt I'm just I'm just guessing that uh, he wasn't getting to have his vision. Pardon the pun. Uh, totally the way he wanted, and you know maybe this alternate cut was maybe closer in tune with what he originally wanted. And, you know, maybe Marvel said, here's, here's the compromise, okay? We respect you. We love what you brought us. You know, you've made us a lot of money. We'll put your vision out separately, you know, on, on home video. But this, this is where we think it needs to go. And then, obviously, you're getting a lot of people going, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's, it's, it's a fun ride at the movie. It's worth seeing. You know, go ahead and splurge for IMAX and... The 3D, uh, I don't know. The 3D is here or there, honestly, on that one. But IMAX, absolutely. Big and loud. Uh, go see it that way. But yeah, I, I don't know. What, what do you think? I, I, I'm tempted to say I want to see it again, 
but again, with this promise of the extended cut with an alternate ending coming out on the, the Blu-ray, I'm almost waiting for that, you know. Um, ironically, two days before the movie launched, I had a, a co-worker who just returned from vacation, and one of the spots he stopped off at, he picked up a, a bootleg version of Age of Ultron and uh, on, on DVD ripped off a movie screen. And I was tempted to watch it, but I was like, no, this, this is a big deal. This is one of the two big movies I'm really excited for this year. I'm going to go see it on the big screen. I kind of wish I had watched it on DVD first because I, I would have probably not been out so late at night and, and wasted a few bucks on watching it on the big screen. <laughs> it just, it was, again, you know, it was good, but I think, um, we have more anticipation when it comes to a Marvel Cinematic Universe film. I, I think we really expect it to top its predecessor. And But then you look back at the timeline and you realize that hasn't always been the case. Marvel's actually been fairly subpar with a lot of their films uh, when you look back retroactively. Um, so... It, but it, it's tough. We got good films back-to-back. We, we got Guardians and Winter Soldier. So... Um, they really kind of blew their load with that and then went back to kind of meh with, with age of Ultron. Um, yeah, then, then where, where are they going to go with Ant-Man now? It's like this had, you know, Ant-Man had nothing to do with this, this Ultron stuff. They could have brought him in, but you know, it's, it, it's its own thing now. Well, I, I really do firmly believe at some point, Probably by the end of Civil War, probably by the beginning beginning of Infinity War, he's going to be wrapped up with Avengers. We're going to see a lot more of him. Yeah, um, you know, and and even at that, Ant Man isn't something I'm ridiculously excited about. I want to give it a shot. I want to try to go in with an open mind, but not not the character I would probably want to bring to the big screen. There's probably at least a half dozen more I would consider before Ant Man. What do you guys think about Ultron? Uh, obviously, it made a lot of money. Uh, if you want to tweet at us, at BB Broadcast, or you're in our chat right now. I know you're not if you're listening to this post uh, via iTunes or uh, on Smodcast.com. But uh, we love the feedback. Uh, TheBigBallBroadcast at gmail.com if you are uh, allergic to social media. We're always looking to to get feedback and expand the fan base, and we're always very very thankful you guys are here to uh, hear us talk about stuff. So let let's go on the other side of the camp. We talked about Marvel. Let's jump and see what's uh in in the DC world. Uh, this past week, the first cast photo of everybody all dressed up in character from Suicide Squad. Uh, of course, you got Will Smith. It's probably the biggest name in there. It's Deadshot. You got Margot Robbie. Uh, it's probably best known as um, Wolf of Wall Street's uh, leading lady. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, the film, I mean, I'm not too familiar with a lot of those characters outside of Harley Quinn. And some some set photos have, have leaked. Uh, Bruce Timm, who's the co-creator of Harley Quinn, gave a kind of a, uh, a, a timid but somewhat thumbs up there. His initial thought was that she looked bizarre and skanky, but she's not too bad. Uh, obviously, she's modeled closer to the the Arkham City version of uh, of Harley Quinn as opposed to the uh, the the one that Bruce was involved with in the animated series. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, in terms of of something to look forward to, yeah, I'm I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, she's got some tats and stuff. It's almost like 
you know, the, the Joker thing, which I've heard that the tats aren't really going to be a final part of, um, the Joker. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, I don't know that I'm totally just jonesing to see Suicide Squad any more than I was before. I'll go see it, but, you know, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, they kind of look like people thought they would. You know, when they announced the cast, people were already throwing up fan art and photoshops and everything. It's like, yeah, they pretty much look like that. So here they are. There is a DC animated film, and the, the title of which escapes me right now, but it's a, it's a Suicide Squad uh, film, and it Fuck, it might be called Suicide Squad for all I know. But I would recommend that um, not only you, Kyle, but all our listeners give it a watch because I think it did a good job setting up the whole premise of what Suicide Squad is, why they do what they do. Um, so for me, it was a good um, introduction because I'm not very familiar with what goes on in Suicide Squad. And if this film, if it's on par with the animated film, I'll be happy, um, but you know I'm I'm very vocal about this. I'm not the biggest DC fan. Um, not that I don't think DC is a good company. I just I grew up very Marvel. My superheroes are Spider Man and the X Men, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Our so chat I, boy guys uh, chimed in. DW fanboys Inc says Assault on Gotham. That's that's the one with the Suicide Squad, the animated one. And that was well done. Again, for me, that was a great introduction to what Suicide Squad is. Um, so again, I certainly encourage everybody to go check that out. I think DC makes great animated films. Um, Flashpoint was great. Um, I think Senna Batman was great. I haven't seen Batman versus Robin yet, but I look forward to that. I really love what they're doing with the animation. Um, it's too bad they're not keeping up with it cinematically. And after seeing the Batman versus Superman trailer, I don't have very high hopes for the direction DC's going uh, cinematically. So with this one, I think I can kind of go in with an open mind. There's some rumors that Batfleck might show up, so that might be interesting. (laughs) You have that kind of crossover, yeah. And then, like, we've talked about in previous episodes where it's like, is there some cinematic confusion between, you know, you have the success of The Flash on TV, but that actor's not going to be portraying him cinematically. Uh, Is that kind of a, a... you know, a slap in the face to those actors, or do they really not want to cross over mediums that way? Even though from a continuity standpoint, it's doable. Obviously, Sam Jackson does it on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He's, he's willing to do it. Obviously, they got to throw a lot of money in his pocket to do it, but it's doable. Yeah, Red Day brought up Red Hood. Red Hood was also very well done. That was a, a DC animated film. So, you know, don't be a Marvel snob. Um, be willing to give some of this stuff a chance because, again, I really can't say enough about their animated films. Marvel's animated films have disappointed the fuck out of me. And the last two I remember watching were Hulk versus... It was Hulk versus uh, somebody or another, and then Hulk versus Thor. It was a double feature. Yeah, and, Wolverine, I think. Hulk versus Wolverine, which had Deadpool in it. Which had Deadpool, and it was fucking hilarious. That, that was really well done. Um, Hulk versus Thor literally put me to sleep. It was so fucking boring. So um, Marvel, not too great, I think, with the, the animated offerings. Um, however, you know, uh, one thing we had to talk about later on, and I might as well throw it out there now, is in 2018, we do have a Spider-Man animated film coming to theaters. Uh, first time ever to have a Spider-Man animated film coming to the big screen. Uh, of course, I do not have the page open right now, 
But um, <laughs> so we don't have a cast, or there's not like a voice cast or anything. There's, there's no voice cast announced yet. Um, this is still a little ways off. Um, we shit, you know. I thought I had it, and it's really disappointing that I don't because we know who's behind it. Um, as the people from the Lego Movie, um, they're the think tank behind it. They haven't been announced as directors or writers, so they're probably going to hire a director and hire a writer, and, and they're kind of in charge of development. But um, this is coming from Sony and uh, Marvel, so it's part of that deal where they're kind of working together and trying to play nice, and everybody makes a ton of money. So I'm excited to see that, and I think you can have a pretty quick turnaround with that as opposed to um, how long it's going to take for them to reboot Spider-Man over at Sony and uh, hopefully a grand introduction into the Avengers. So that's pretty cool, and I hope this starts to tip things in Marvel's direction with their animation. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd go see that over a uh, rumored and probably debunked Aunt May spy thriller because, you know, people want that. You know what's scary is as a result of the Sony leaks, that was confirmed as being an actual project that they were working on. Oh shit, really? <laughs> yeah, that was conf- that was confirmed. Some of the really wacky shit. Um, right now, it seems in terms of Spider-Man, with uh, him being rebooted back into the cinematic universe um, with Sony as standalone films and then incorporating it with Marvel, is who are you going to bring in as a love interest, especially where they're looking to cast a 15 to 16 year old? Are you going to go with what you just used, which was Gwen Stacy or go back to what Raimi used as uh, Mary Jane. So who would you like to, whose boobies would you like to see on the big screen? Guy? Whose boobies? God. <laughs> uh, I'm not committed either way, honestly. Uh, <laughs> That's yeah. That, that that that's up in the air. I mean, they're gonna make them teeny boppers anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, it's like let's let's make them younger so we can get the kitties into the screens and the theaters. Let's do that. Yeah, in hindsight, I feel like an old perv now because I just realized. Yeah, if you're talking, you're casting a 15 or 16 year old Peter Parker, whoever his love interest is, you probably shouldn't be talking about their boobies. Who are we kidding? They're gonna cast like 25 year olds. That's like the way they always do in Hollywood. Remember watching Breakfast Club? I don't think anyone was in their 20s, not even in their 20s when they made that movie. Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what is what is really interesting is Marvel. They're adamant anyway in what they're announcing that they are seeking to cast a 15 to 16 year old Peter Parker. Um, I think it's because, uh, let's face it, we're already talking about burnout with a lot of the Avengers. We don't know where Chris Evans is going to be a couple of years from now or Robert Downey Jr. They're demanding so much money and they're burning out on the characters. And, you know, we're hearing a lot of rumors now anyway that Infinity War Part One isn't going to include the majority of the Avengers because they need a break. So that's when you're going to have the second tier step up. <clears throat> so uh, I think casting a 15 to 16 year old Peter Parker, you have ideas of potentially keeping this person involved in a cinematic universe for the next 20 years. I guess that's true. They're going to, if, if they do that and it actually connects and it makes so much money, it's, it's stupid. Then they're going to be like, okay, let's just stick with this guy. This guy will be Peter Parker from here on out for the next 20, 30 years. You know, I don't know that there's an actor out there willing to make a, you know, multiple decade commitment to, to that, but you know, 
Well, you know what's funny is if you pick up the uh, Batman television series on DVD or Blu-ray, which you know has finally come out, uh, not just now, but you know <laughs> last year, um, there's a documentary talking with Adam West directly about the impact of him playing Batman, and he couldn't get work for years, for years and years and years. Nobody wanted to give him a shot because he was typecast as Batman. He was campy, he was corny, he was the Cape Crusader. I think if you play a character like Spider-Man, I don't think it matters what you do from there, you know? I think you're going to be remembered. I think you're going to be very well known. I think if you do a great job, people are going to sing your praises and, and many accolades are going to be thrust upon you. Because the Academy sucks, you may not ever get an Academy Award. But if that was going to be my career going forward for 20 years and I was only going to be known as Spider-Man, I think I'd embrace it than, than try to run away from it. Mm-hmm. Now, something else going on. Uh, and the controversial side of of, of Marvel is, uh, and we we tackled this a couple episodes ago, but the lack of like Black Widow merchandise or or just female merchandise, you know, uh, Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy, Mark Ruffalo even went so far as to saying, "Hey, Marvel, what gives? You know, I, I want to be able to buy a, a Black Widow thing for my kid, and you know, here's all the dudes, and yeah, you look at the you know the the t-shirts and the the Happy Meal type bags. It's like, where's Black Widow on all this? And and maybe this is in reaction to that. But it looks like DC is creating a, a female focused superhero line just for just for young girls, so they can make merchandise specifically marketed. I guess. Well, yeah, they're they're aiming to set girls between six and twelve, and it's kind of akin to Disney's marketing for all their uh, Disney princesses. Um, there's only three Batman-related characters, which I think is pretty good because they're opening it up to other characters. Uh, you're going to see some lesser-known characters like Katana and Bumblebee amongst uh, heavy hitters like Wonder Woman, Supergirl, and Batgirl. Um, fucking A. You know, I really don't know more to say about that. People are crying about not having merch available for females. Well, uh, I guess DC would be more than happy to tap into that market. What's interesting, however, is we did get a comment on Twitter, and I want to apologize to the listener who sent it in. I did not grab your uh, your handle. But they sent an article over on Uprox, and what was interesting was somebody explained, somebody was in a position uh, to provide some insider insight, uh, explained that it's not that Disney has an issue having female-related merchandise. They're not intentionally um, withholding Black Widow or, or Scarlet Witch from having merchandise out there, but that's pretty much already their existing bread and butter. Almost every movie that Disney's ever released has been a princess movie. So they're making money hand over fist with all their, their uh, princess-related merchandise. And even with the reboots, you have a Cinderella reboot and the... Um, the Oz reboot, and now the Beauty and the Beast reboot. There's going to be tons and tons and tons of princess merchandise available. So they, I guess they feel they don't even have to go that route. They don't even have to make that offering because it's not detrimental to their bottom line. Yeah. Um, looking at our chat, it's Mr. Haru from our chat that actually tweeted at you about that, that link. Yeah, the quote here is that the takeaway is that unlike the actual uh, demos, the desired demographic has no females in it whatsoever. She asked her thoughts on what was going on, and they said, uh, that's not what Disney, that's not why Disney bought us. They already have the girls' market on lockdown. Um, what, yeah, I don't think Disney would buy Marvel 
to have more female associated merchandise. I think it's kind of just the opposite. I think what Disney doesn't have are the strong male leads. I, I don't see my kids getting uber excited about Aladdin or getting uber excited about, you know, a lot of these males in their portrayal, portrayal in the Disney movies. Um, when you have kick-ass superheroes, oh yeah, the boys get really excited. And, you know, I have two young boys. They, they, I don't want to say they don't acknowledge gender difference, but I think, you know, you're going to associate with who you can more closely associate with. So when my kids are running around the yard playing, they're Iron Man or Captain America or Hulk or Spider-Man. Um, not that I'd have a problem if one of my, my sons decided to run around and say I'm Black Widow or Scarlet Witch, but I think, um, they're more inclined to want to follow those characters. My, my oldest son loves to tinker with technology and I see his association with Iron Man. That, that's very, um, palatable. That's like, oh yeah, that's badass. That's something I'd love to do and have a mech suit and blah, blah. Um, so I don't think my kids are disappointed when they go to Toys R Us and there isn't a Black Widow figure, but there's everybody else, all the, the big hitters, the guys. Mm hmm. Um, for adults, for, for collectors, for people a little bit more conscious about these issues, I could see where it most certainly could be construed as being offensive. But I think the bottom line is it's not about sex. It's not about gender. It's about the almighty dollar and the bottom line. And that's unfortunate, but I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it is what it is situation. Right. Like if you just look at the facts, right? I mean, in terms of popularity, Iron Man is a more popular character, right? So people are, are probably going to gravitate towards more merchandise that way. I mean, there, there's companies like Sideshow Collectibles. Of course, there's the high-end, you know, maquette and, and, and fully articulate, you know, $300 figures. You know, they got Black Widow shit, like, out the ass there. I think it's going to change. I think that that shift has to take place because, you know, lest we forget, there's going to be a woman-centric superhero film coming out from uh, Marvel slash Disney. Will there be all kinds of merchandise that goes along with it? I would hope so. I think I would hope you would afford a film or a potential franchise the same opportunities you would everything else and saturate the market with merchandise. What was sad about Ultron and my takeaway on that, and it was kind of confirmed by some comments I've read on, on certain uh, websites is that we're not going to get a Black Widow standalone movie. And that's why there was so much attention put into her background um, in Age of Ultron. Take 20 minutes to explain it as opposed to doing a $200 million, two-and-a-half-hour feature film. I guess I kind of get that. I, I don't know. I mean, there's also not going to be a Hawkeye standalone movie for the same reason, and that's kind of why they delved into his history. and Not necessarily his history, but his status. Or a Hulk, so you have that romance subplot. So you, right. you know, you give them more character moments in the sequel, so everyone thinks, okay, all right, well, Thor and Cap and Iron Man got some more screen time the first time. Let let let's go around and see the other members get a little more screen time. I, I can respect that. And again, they're going to be bringing uh, Black Panther and 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 Power Girl and and Doctor Strange and a bunch of other characters to the screen. I don't think we at this point need a standalone. Uh, another Hulk or, or a Hawkeye or a Black Widow. Now, um, as I was saying, that it's interesting that DC is 
more than happy to jump in on this untapped market and have their female uh, superheroines available to all the girls around the world. Uh, there's another company, believe it or not, that's doing the same thing. And this one kind of caught me by surprise because this one is Hasbro. And Hasbro is releasing an all-female Transformers team. What? Really? Wow. See, I had to wait for that to sink in a minute there. Uh. Um, <laughs> there's a comic series coming out by IDW Comics called uh, Combiner Hunters, and that introduces this team of female, female robots. The robots combine to form a, a combiner bot named Victorion, and shortly after the release of the comic, the toy line is going to be coming out of this exclusively all-female team that combines with this big female robot. It will probably do better than the Bay Bayformers. <laughs> so right there, that's, that's an interesting uh, spin on things for sure. Far from reality-based, because I always go, well, they're robots. I didn't know that there were gender assignments, because I don't think they knock bolts, so to speak, to... Uh, exactly. Um, and it's funny, because there have been some comments about, oh, yeah, I like how they have accentuated chest plates. You know, I don't think robots need to be running around with giant boobies. It's like, this one's female. Why? Because it's got boobs. Robot Pretty boobs. Much. And, and it brings a whole new concept to the term headlights. Oh, yeah. High beams. That's right. But, you know, I, I don't think these things necessarily have to make sense for uh, the audience to kind of get into this deep meaning of, of understanding. I think this is all a direct result of the backlash Marvel's been facing and uh, even DC to a certain extent without um, – Previous to this this announcement of having female centric merchandise available, so yeah, I mean it's consumerism at its best. We we live in this wonderful uh, capitalist society where it's supply and demand, and if the public is demanding something and the number one supplier isn't supplying it, fuck yeah, step in and you want robot boobies, you want superhero boobies, you want mutants boobies, you want zombie boobies, absolutely, and they're all gonna laugh all the way to the bank. <laughs> Mr. Haru in our chat says, I don't know if I can fab to that, but I'm damn sure going to try. Dot JPEG. Okay. <laughs> oh, and again, it brings a whole new meaning to the term lubrication. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. And you're thinking, okay, what are the color schemes? Like hot pink and. I found this over on io9. Um, this was on April 27th. And there, they, they, they show three of the five, and they're definitely got some purple and pink going on. So, yeah. Oh, I want to, yeah, I want to, I'm, I'm looking that up right now. Men quake in peril as Hasbro debuts all-female Transformers team. Oh, yeah, that one looks like um, RC. Yeah. She was like the only female representation of a bot on that series for 30 years. <laughs> this is the answer to that. Maybe people were writing in. Maybe, maybe, uh, titties in disguise says, uh, <laughs> tell him Steve, Dave, ninja ant. Okay. That's good. <laughs> and you know, there, there's going to be fanfic to this and it's going to be like really disturbing, really gross, disturbing fanfic. And yeah, I'm sure it's already being written right out there right now. So yeah, you know, traditionally in, in the merchandising realm, the female characters are always short packed, right? That's the rare one. 
So if they're all female, what are they going to do then? Are they going to have like one token dude and make him the rare merchandise? They're going to release uh, an exclusive convertible version. Oh, put the top down. That's right. And will they wear lipstick? Is that something that would help define them? Because RC, she wore lipstick. Or, I mean, it looked like lipstick anyway. I have to throw in this this little uh, update to what we were talking about earlier, the Spider-Man animated feature. It's the Lego movies Chris Miller and Phil Lord that are think tanking this, so... Just wanted ah. to provide that update there. <laughs> okay. Cocaine and Horror says there will be one male Transformer who will be the romantic interest. You know it's true. What, like a Tenchi Muyo thing? <laughs> I was going to say that. It's going to be Tenchi all over again. Tenchi in space. Again. <laughs> Ryoko! <laughs> I, I really dug the first Tenchi series. Just the oh, first. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, okay, let's show our, our anime nerd cred. Yeah, Tenchi in Tokyo, not so much, but Tenchi Universe, yeah, all for that. Not the later ones. Not the later no, ones. No, no. <laughs> had the pleasure years ago of uh, getting in touch with Patria Bruchard, who who voiced uh, Ryoko, and got my whole stash signed by her. So thanks, Patria, if you're listening. Appreciate That's it. All right. I, I was doing a, a recent decluttering of my uh, man cave because I got boxes and boxes of collectibles, and I ended up deciding, shit, I'm not going to do anything with these. I'm just going to go to Goodwill and have one hell of a nice tax write-off and make a lot of kids happy. But <laughs> other than that, I was finding a lot of my old uh, autograph stuff, and uh, Patria Burchard was, was one of them. I found stuff from Tara Strong, and uh, a friend of mine got me a Carrie Fisher signed one with her in the bikini from the Jedi thing, and uh, nostalgia bomb, finding all this shit. But yeah. Got to downsize all this shit. I got so much crap in my apartment. I mean, I mean, if you're a fan and you're a collector and you live in an apartment, those things just don't go in the same sentence. It's almost like, well, shit. Now I'm forced to get a storage unit and, and take a lot of my uh, a lot of my stuff and put it in there. I don't know if you have that problem because you live in a house. You've got room to put things. I do, and that's why I have three arcade cabinets currently. But I'm shaking my head because, <clears throat> as geeky as I am. I can't imagine being in a scenario where I'd have to consider um, renting a storage unit because I had that much swag. <laughs> that much stuff, not enough space to, to you know, not enough uh, cases to display things, not enough wall space to tack them up there with push pins or anything. <laughs> a lot of shit. I also found a lot of uh, my old... Um, production sketches and animation cells I've collected through the years. Those aren't going anywhere. Keeping those. Oh, yeah. Anything you're associated with, absolutely. And, and you're also in a, in a unique position opposite me. Um, you get a lot. You have a, a, a tremendous fan base. And when you go to conventions, um, from time to time, you receive gifts from fans and you receive fan art and, and things of the like. And I understand you want to keep that near and dear to you and you, you don't want to get rid of too much of it. So I can see that it could accumulate rather rapidly. Yeah, I've got over a dozen boxes alone of things I've received through the years from from anime and game fans. Just you know, homemade fan art and and plushies and shirts and all sorts of stuff. And yeah, I'm I'm not I don't want to throw that away because that's that that's heartfelt and and very sentimental and and everything. And I'm very very honored and very 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 flattered to have that much stuff. But yeah, there comes a point where it's like, okay, we got boxes. 
This place looks like a storage unit. <laughs> There's no reason why it should. It's a home, damn it. Yeah, but um, yeah. Well, well, let's move on to a couple other news. We're we're heading towards the end of the podcast here, but you know, other things of note in the Star Wars realm. If you are a collector, and God forbid, I'll be doing this on September fourth. But uh, Force Friday, yeah, Disney and um, Lucasfilm are celebrating that as the day that you'll be able to first get your your grubby hands. On Star Wars Episode Seven, Force Awakens merch, uh, all sorts of things. You're probably going to see the glut of it all over again. I mean, I'm I having flashbacks of 1999 when the Episode One stuff dropped at midnight, and everyone just went bonkers buying Darth Maul toothbrush and uh, and Jar Jar Binks this and that. And then they saw the film, you know. Uh, and and we're going to do it again because the film's not out till December, but you're going to get all this lead time where. You know, all these spoilerific character merch is going to be out there. You know, and that was my first response when I read that, because they have a, a horrible tradition of putting all kind of really spoilerific shit on the back of the blister packs. So even if you're trying to avoid it, you're going to be in a shopping center and somebody's probably going to yell something out and you're just going to have to strangle that little shit right there and then there in the aisle. Um. What's more interesting, and I really think we should talk about this, what the fuck's going on with this second standalone film? The second standalone film. Okay, so Josh Trank, who first came under the social media pop culture radar as the director of Chronicle a few years back, the uh, telekinetic psychic um, sci-fi horror film almost, um, and then he's most recently directed the new Fantastic Four reboot, which there's a lot of speculation that there's behind the scenes drama with Josh and all that. Josh is now withdrawn as the director of the of the second Star Wars anthology film. The first one, uh Rogue One is coming from Gareth Edwards who did last year's Godzilla and um it's going to basically cover uh trying to get the 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 plans uh for the for the Death Star, I guess and or whatnot and everything in terms of the old school trilogy. Uh, the second one rumored to be dedicated to Boba Fett, um, which, you know, in the expanded universe, which has since been thrown out by Disney, would have been nice to see. Okay, I want to see Boba Fett just come out of the Sarlacc, Sarlacc pit and, and and continue. But, um, yeah, if they go and, and make a film about his younger days, but not the prequel days, no one wants to see little kid Boba Fett. We want to see grown-up badass. Let, let's see him collecting Wookiee pelts and whatnot. <laughs> I'm all for that. I want to see more about the Mandalorians. I mean, you got a, a little a little taste of that, I guess, in Rebels, because one of those characters, I guess, is a Mandalorian, right? Yeah, but, you know, <clears throat> I have the same problem with Boba Fett that I do with Wolverine, and that is the more you know about him, let's be honest, the less interesting the character becomes. When he was the the badass bounty hunter who had the balls to, to, you know, mouth off to Darth Vader and didn't say much, you know, his, his actions spoke and he was a man of very few words and he was under the helmet. That's what I really dug when you really didn't know. And it was fun growing up with all the, the different, uh, conspiracy theories people had, you know, Hey, maybe it's, uh, Maybe it's Leia's mother, you know. At the time, nobody knew what happened with Padme, but it's like, maybe it's Luke Leia's mother that's running around masquerading as Boba Fett, and that's how she keeps an eye on her twins and whatever. Um, and that's what made Episode 2 kind of, in my opinion, one of the worst Star Wars movies, because you started demystifying Boba Fett. The origin was, let's admit it, kind of silly. 
and uh, for Django, who's the predecessor, the, the the dad, for lack of a better term, to go out like a chump. It's like, oh my god, that just it makes Boba Fett look like more of an embarrassment. I don't want to know too much about him. I didn't want to know too much about Wolverine. I didn't want his whole origin and everything. When he was mysterious and he was the one wrestling in his head with what was going on and what was real and what was implanted memories, that's what made the character like really admirable. When you start taking away all these veils, it's like, eh, okay, so he's just some dude, like all these other dudes running around in this universe. <laughs> you have to hope that he has some sort of interesting background. But yeah, it does you know, demystify that. Just like if they want to take these anthology films, which are Mr. Haru was asking in the chats, like, why are they doing another standalone film? Yeah, that's the plan. Disney wants to do... Uh, Disney and Lucasfilm want to put out a film every other year because every two years we're going to get episode seven, eight, and nine. So we're going to fill in the gaps in between with Star Wars anthology films. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's a chance to revisit the early days of, of, of core characters like Han Solo, Yoda, uh, whatnot. I personally could care less about a Yoda film or a Mace Windu film. Han Solo, I'd be down for. Boba Fett, I'm down for, but yeah, yeah, you run the risk, but it has to be in the right hands. You know, the last time we learned about young Boba Fett, that's George Lucas. George Lucas had no, um, investment in that character. He, he wrote it as a one-off. It's like, ah, uh, I don't know. It, he got popular. I didn't fucking care about him. And, and then as you, as you saw in episode two, yeah, he threw him in there, but it wasn't anything you know, that, that resonated with fans. If anything, it's like that moment when, when Janko is decapitated and Boba picks up the helmet. It's supposed to be like heartfelt and sad, but I was sitting there laughing going, it'd be funny if Django's head just falls out of the helmet onto the ground. Oh, I applaud that graphic thought there, Kyle. <laughs> I'm so heartless. I'm so wrong, but I laughed in the theater. I thought, this is supposed to be touching, and it's just not. It's just like, come on, the head's going to fall out. The head's going to fall out. I, I had a train of thought going on this, and then that thought just went out of my head. <laughs> I just totally blasted oh, it, and the target what, area is only two meters wide. What I was going to say is that what was interesting that came out of Celebrations um, was they said the, the the producers and director of Rebels said it's not entirely out of the realm of possibility to actually see these characters show up in a live action film, either in one of the, the sequel films or in one of the standalones, not necessarily to be a lead or to have a massive plot point, but you might see a character bump into another character, maybe see uh, Zeb sitting in a bar having a drink or something. So I thought, wow, that was pretty that's a pretty cool idea in terms of, of uh, expanding that universe and, and bringing it all into the same thing. So I'm all for that. I think Rebels is, as I've stated before, fucking awesome. So if you want to bring some characters over, woohoo. Anyone know when Rebels is coming back on, says Cocaine and Whores in our chat. It's coming in June, yeah? Season two? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath, and I'm just trying to enjoy other things before that just sucks me up and takes me away. <laughs> yeah, let's see uh, some other Star Wars news. Disney Infinity 3.0. So as we know, Disney Infinity, the hybrid toy slash video game phenomenon that, that sold like hotcakes. The first version was all Disney characters. Second version was Marvel characters in 2.0. 3.0 drops this fall. You get Star Wars characters. Uh, actually, I'll plug myself. I'm in the Marvel one as J. Jonah Jameson. Yay! Uh, anyway, uh, for $64.99, you get the first Star Wars starter pack this fall. You're going to get three different Star Wars play sets. 
set within uh, the the first one set within the the episode one through three timeline. Second set episodes four through six. Then the third will drop this winter. That'll be forced on just Force Awakens and all that. So um, I have not played Disney Infinity. My friends didn't think it was all that great when they when they played it, but someone's playing it, just like um, Skylanders and whatnot. That that hybrid uh, toy slash game crossover thing is a thing for the for the youngins. My kids played uh, Infinity 2.0 and they were bored by it. But then again, my oldest plays Infamous, so yeah. If you have a choice to play Infamous or a Disney game, you're probably going to play Infamous. Well, yeah, yeah, you're 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 raising them right. <laughs> I mean, no Call of Duty or God of War. Come on, I have morals. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna wait till next year to introduce them to that. Uh, again, I, I can't talk enough about Infamous. We could do a whole cast just on how I feel about a game that came out, you know, probably ten years ago. But <laughs> hey, <laughs> I like it. That's all that matters. He likes it. He likes it a rot. Oh, man. Well, I guess we're almost at the end. We might as well, uh, unless you have any last-minute stories you want to toss in here. I don't really, you know. Um, I, I want Joss Wheaton to come back on Twitter. Don't don't be sad, Joss. Come back. Come back, Joss. You know, it, it's not that he's, uh, you know, all bummed and emo or anything, but uh, I think he's he's gone on record by saying that it's it's an interesting phenomenon on social media, but uh, it's also a huge distraction. <laughs> and if he's going to uh, stay dedicated as an artist and everything, James Gunn came to his defense. James Gunn is very active on social media, director of Guardians of the Galaxy, for those who don't know the name, but uh, he defended Joss. It's like, that, that's sad that someone who works so hard and is a huge member of the fandom community uh, bust his ass for two years to make a film and it comes out and yeah it's number one but he gets this this smorgasbord of hate from people calling him the very things that uh, he's mostly known for not being and then he's like alright fuck y'all I'm out of here that's yeah, kind of sad but yeah Joss we love you dude come back I wonder if a part of that has to do with as far as I know anyway this is his last uh, contracted film with Disney for the Marvel verse. Yeah, I don't know how many he was contracted to do. Maybe this was this was enough. Maybe the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, I know that the creators versus the big corporations that that can be a big point of contention for them. And you know, that may be like the reason. Like you had Edgar Wright step out from the Ant Man thing. Uh, you know, he was responsible for uh, Scott Pilgrim, and which is a huge cult hit, while not a huge financial success. But uh, people or. Um, I think he also did Shaun of the Dead, I believe. Um, so having someone like that and then the falling out. James Gunn also defended him, too. It's like, trust me, it's just a, a different creative vision. Uh, this this is just par for the course as far as Hollywood is concerned. So, it's um, going to be tough when you want to go out on top and, and you make what you think is your your beautiful parting gift. And people go, ah, oh, that sucks. And you're like, fuck, you know, that, that was my last shot at this. And, and this is how you're going to treat me. So I can sympathize but, you know, haters going to hate. Come on back, Kyle, and I will we'll pat you on the back and say nothing but good things about your films. They hate us because they ain't us. We're, we're out of here, folks. That's all we got time for. Thanks, Cocaine and Whores, DW Fanboys, Inc., Mr. Haru, Robert J., Sigmund 88. Tell them Steve, Dave, Ninja Ant, Venom 34, anyone else who's listening to this very podcast, you can uh, check out the archive at smodcast.com, and uh, we'll do it again next week. So, until then, this is Kyle Abair. And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins and Jason Peer. 
Music provided by iShine, Perimeter of the Void, and Zero Reynolds. Follow us on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email the Big Ball Broadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.